beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. And welcome back to the Oscar Worthy Podcast, show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine whether the Academy weren't wrong. If they went wrong, what film are we watching this week, Zach? Well, we were going to be watching A Man and a Woman, but we couldn't find that. So uh, come back later and we'll see if we can find that. We are watching another film. When he's not off smacking crackers, Sidney Poitier is solving the problem of interracial marriage in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Ooh, is this everybody's first time seeing Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? No. No. No for me as well. Anybody remember the first time they saw it? No. Surprisingly, it was only a couple years ago when, when it was nominated for Best Picture, and I watched it for the podcast. I'd, I'd never seen it before then. Oh, I'm pretty sure I saw it in school at some point. I didn't get to see it until around 05 or 06 when I was doing the AFI watch. That's the first time I saw it, and I've seen it a few times since then, including mm-hmm. a couple of years ago when we covered In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. Shall we do an Oscar breakdown? Yes, please. Break it down. Guess who's coming to dinner? It is not Ashton Kutcher and Bernie Mac. Right. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> it wins. Best story and screenplay written directly for the screen, giving William Rose an Academy Award. It beats out Bonnie and Clyde, nominating David Newman and Robert Benton. Divorce American Style, written by Norman Lear, king of television, and story by Robert Kaufman. Two for the Road, written by Frederica Raphael. And The War is Over by Jorge Simpron. It is also nominated for Best Picture, giving Stanley Kramer. A nomination beat out, of course, by In the Heat of the Night, giving Walter Mirsch an Academy Award. Nominated for Best Director, giving Stanley Kramer a second nomination. Right. loses to Mike Nichols for The Graduate. Mm-hmm. 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 It's nominated for Best Actor, giving Spencer Tracy a posthumous nomination. Spencer Tracy dies 17 days after this movie is done filming. Jeez. Oh, yeah. 17 days. He is so sick. During the filming, he almost didn't get to be in the film because they didn't want to insure him. And Catherine Hepburn would shuffle him to set. They would shoot whatever they could with him until he was too tired. And then they would shoot around him for the rest of the day. Wow. Yeah. Could you imagine a man being that sick and giving the fucking performance he does in this movie? Yeah. Incredible. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, it wins Best Actress, giving Catherine Hepburn an Academy Award. I believe this is her third. Sounds right. I'm going to go. I said it. Now I'm going to go check it real quick. Uh, one in 34, one in six. Oh, no, this is only her second. Oh, okay. She wins the very next year for Latin. Okay. And then she's done winning awards and being nominated until uh, 1981. When she wins for On Golden Pond. So her last three nominations, 100% across the board. She wins her first nomination, wins her last three, and then has a whole bunch of nominations in between. What a legend. What a goddamn. Oh, all right. It is nominated for Best Supporting Actor, uh, giving Cecil Kellaway, playing Monsignor Ryan, an Academy Award nomination. Support. Uh, he loses to George Kennedy for Cool Hand Luke. Good call there. Uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actress, giving B. Richards, uh, playing Mrs. Mary Prentice, Poitier's mother. 
uh, an Academy Award nomination, but loses to Estelle Parsons for Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it is nominated for Best Original Score, Song Score, or Adaptation Score, giving Frank Duvall a nomination. It loses to Camelot, giving Alfred Newman and Ken Darby Academy Awards. Nominated for Best Art Direction, giving Robert Clatworthy an Art Direction nomination and Frank Tuttle a Set Direction nomination. Loses to Camelot. Camelot. is only a model. Uh, John Truscott for Art Direction. Uh, Edward Carrere for Art Direction and Set Direction. John W. Brown. And finally, it is nominated for Best Film Editing, giving Robert C. Jones an Academy Award nomination and loses to Hal Ashby for In the Heat of the Night. Ah, I forgot Hal Ashby fucking edited that film. That's so wild to me. (laughs) (laughs) And that... That is our Oscar breakdown. All right. It's well, a nomination tier, and uh, yeah. here we go. Well, let's talk about this movie. When it comes to movies that I'm pretty goddamn sure that we all love the crap out of, not going to be a lot of talk about here. But that being said, my uh, initial thoughts are I goddamn love this fucking movie, and I goddamn love this fucking movie. It's a great movie. Zach. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's great. I, you know, there's a little things we can talk about, but for 1967, uh, this was the film that needed to be made, um, for the audience that needed to see it. There are some, a couple, like I said, a couple more things we can pick apart, but just this, this film, uh, like I said, this is only the second time I've seen it, but both times that knowing you know, Spencer Tracy dies so shortly after this and that he was so sick and that, you know, him and Catherine Hepburn, you know, their real life relationship, their, uh, their chemistry, they, they just, it just seems like they're really this couple. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she breaks my heart so many times in this movie, just with her eyes. And, uh, I was reading yeah. the note here that says she, she never saw the completed film saying it'd be too painful for her. And I can understand. I mean, but it's, crazy to think you know she won her oscar for a film she's never seen um yeah that, that's where i'll pause until we get mr workman's thoughts um i love this movie a whole lot uh especially uh, a race film made for white people mm-hmm. to be like hey white people stop being assholes <laughs> um there's there's one big thing that we'll get into later that um was put in my head by somebody else and I could not shake it watching this time. So we'll talk about that. But as it goes, I think this is a real good film. I think it, it takes as honest an approach toward race relations as we're going to see in the 1960s. Um, because they don't, they don't really shy away from like the realities of things. Yeah. Uh, so so it's nice to see. It's a good stepping stone film, but yeah, I don't know. It's, the, it's just a good film. Yeah. There's a reason we're still talking about it today. Yeah. There's a reason it was remade into one of the worst comedies of 2005. I was going to say <laughs> Satan, but okay. <laughs> so, yeah, right. like on my official watch, you know, like I was like, okay, so, you know, Sidney Poitier is always playing these perfect characters, but then I, this time watching, I'm reading the notes where it says, he was written intentionally that way to debunk ethnic stereotypes. So he, 
know, the only objections that could possibly be had. So, so here we go. Well, I guess we're jumping into it right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> so I listened to Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, a great podcast, and they covered this film. And uh, Drum Milligan, who's just has such an interesting take on everything that he watches, uh, talks about another trope, much like the magical Negro trope. I'm going to I'm going to settle into calling this trope by that name because we are now getting a film called The Society of Magical Negroes. I'm going to have to say the title of that. So I'm just I love. Have in. you seen the TikToks of the white people going to go buy a ticket for that? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a just one adult ticket? What movie? <laughs> um, that one. <laughs> Society that one. movie. The magical. So anyway, yeah. So so we're getting that. I've got to say that title. So I, I, I'm sorry if. Oh, I wish I worked at a theater. Just make people say it. <laughs> oh God, I wish I did too. Um, so it's much like that trope, but it's called the exceptional Negro trope where to have white audiences feel okay with black characters, they make them the best black character that you can put on screen. They have to make them the most exceptional at whatever it is they are doing. Yeah. And so this guy, you know, Spencer Tracy has the one scene where. He's listening to all the accolades and things on the phone. Accolades. He's like, no, he wouldn't brag about himself because I hardly believe it. And he, he's not the one telling me. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a lot. Like yeah. it's, he's not just some guy she met in Hawaii. He's the most excellent man that ever existed. <laughs> she met in Hawaii. <laughs> and, and, and like you said, it's so that they could break stereotypes which I, I understand for 1967, but at the same time, like he couldn't just be a good doctor. He had to be the best doctor that there right. ever was. He's 39. He's accomplished so much at such a young age. <laughs> like it's yeah. people randomly know about him from magazine articles. Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of saccharine and it, <laughs> and it kind of sticks out once it's pointed out to you. Yeah. But, you know, and, and again, it's 1967, so I, I'm not in this time, and I don't have to deal with the politics of that time, even though we're still kind of living in the echoes of it. Yeah. It's and wild but, how, like, relevant so many of these expressions from um, white families are. My sister dated uh, a black man for years. And when he got around my extended family, that got awkward real fast all the time. So, again, yeah, it's something that still just persists and exists and really shitty to have to deal with. Yep. But, you know, we're not living in that specific political climate where where we're not seeing uh, images of uh, a variety of black characters on screen at any at any given point. Mm -hmm. So to sell this to mass white audiences, he has to be that exceptional. Right. Yeah. That sucks. It sucks. It, it sucks that it has to happen, and it sucks that everybody involved with this knows that's what has to happen. Yeah. 
which is which is why I think this works mostly as that stepping stone movie, right? Where he again he could have just been a doctor. Oh, he's like a podiatrist. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not making fun of podiatrists, but right. you know you're not you're not like oh he's like the best surgeon in in L.A. or wherever wherever he's from, right? New York or whatever. Like he's 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 the absolute best. No, he's just a guy who works on feet. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> That's right. commendable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I do like how, you know, where we have this exceptional character. And we also have it paired against uh, Spencer Tracy's character, who's a, you know, a proud liberal newspaper man who's taken all these stances against uh, injustice and stuff. And so we have um, Monsignor Ryan, who's calling him a hypocrite and stuff when he's having his questions. Yep. And not not to say in his defense, but his his worry always seems to be how people are going to treat them more so than I guess he has a personal objection. But that's still, I guess that's how he eventually comes around to. Yeah, I I, I guess it's one of those the underlying like scene where he he and uh, Hepburn are talking to each other. He's like, did you ever think we'd have to worry about this? And she's like, no. He's like, yeah, neither did I ever. Never thought about this a day in my life. Right. Like, there's that that underlying prejudice there. Right. Where, where he keeps framing it in this certain way. But I think the subtext is, I really just don't want my daughter dating a black guy. Uh, but at the same time, they have to give him that liberal like pro-black stance so that in the course of an evening when he goes, I kind of don't want my daughter dating a black guy to finally being like, all right, if you guys love each other, I'm, I'm good with this and <laughs> everybody's going to be fine. We're going to be great. Miscegenation all around. It, it doesn't feel like a huge leap. It feels like uh, kind of a walk across uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. See, I... I kind of took something different from from Spencer Tracy's character when he when you say that. I never at any point felt like he didn't want his date or daughter to date a black guy. I felt more he was worried about how everyone else would feel about his daughter dating a black guy. That and it's not so much like how it's perceived, but how the struggle it would be too hard for his daughter. Like he just didn't trust the world for that issue. Um, See, but I think which, it, I think that's mostly projection. This this just yeah. my I'm not no saying no fair right. enough. Um, I, I feel like that's mostly projection. He's like, I don't think she can handle dating a black guy. Where it's like I I can't handle her dating a black guy. So I'm just gonna push that onto her, sure, so that I can feel like I'm still the strong liberal. Because honestly, I think you bring you bring in the characters to kind of soundboard off of him, mm -hmm. so that you kind of understand that I'm not. You know, it's one of those like differences between racism and prejudice, right? Where he's not a racist person. He doesn't feel like he's above Sidney Poitier. He doesn't feel like he's a better person. It's just he's white, and he's feeling uncomfortable, and. And the most interaction we know he's had with a black person is the woman who works in his house. Yeah. Yeah. 
saying that he doesn't have any more interaction. He lives in San Francisco. A lot of black people live there. 12%. 12%, he says. <laughs> Even backs his car into one of them. <laughs> but the fact that he's got that statistic ready to go, you know, kind of says a lot to me. Sure. I don't know the percentage of black people that live in my very, very mixed city. I do, but that's only because I look at the the statistics and stuff. But a lot of times for for work related eh, things. Okay, I'll be uh, I'll take that back. I'll be fair to the guy who works her fucking newspaper, <laughs> and you, Zach, who are just a nerd. <laughs> I look at a lot of school data. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, let me see. What was I about to say next? Um, Sydney Poitier is great in this. I, I love how there's so many scenes where. <laughs> <laughs> like especially when they're with um her friends and they're asking him questions and he just kind of smiles and wags his finger <laughs> like uh <laughs> quit asking me these questions you asshole yeah yeah the, the scene with him and his dad so good i was uh, i was real mad when the live-in housekeeper said that he wasn't that good looking yeah angry yeah angry yeah, <laughs> yeah that um I think, you know, when we c- cover this, or uh, when we talked about it on um, the Heat of the Night episode, you mentioned, you know, the the whole housekeeper thing is kind of weird, too. Not sure what the, the message is coming from Tilly specifically, or who that message is meant for. I know... I, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of black people, black women specifically, mm-hmm. but... There is, there is a prevailing group of black women who feel like black men run to white women. Yeah. For whether it's some kind of fetishization or, you know, the, the, right, right, right. See the movie Undercover Brother. There's the whole yeah. white she devil character. Yep. All this is parodied in that. Um, so I, I don't want to speak like I'm an authority. Right, right. But I, I feel like that that character speaks to that mindset. Gotcha. Where, where it's like, I mean, you know, there are plenty of black women you could be dating. She, she says at one point, like, I don't like when, uh, black people try to get above their station in life. You know, this, this is a whole tricky situation that I'm too white to be talking on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I've already said too much, so I'm not going to say anymore. (laughs) No, I think you uh, you give some interesting insight to go from there. There's certainly um, the only thing I'll say is there's certainly you know people of color that object to interracial marriage for whatever reason as well. Yeah, and which is the only and this I don't think this is a solvable problem, but the problem that I had with the film was that it was the the white dad who had to be the bigger man in the end. And kind of forced the black father's hand in a way. You know, but I I thought about that a lot during this film. Because I knew that speech was coming. So I watched a lot of this film with that in mind, specifically. Mm-hmm. So it was like, if I have to think critically about this, I need to think critically about this. Because the only the only person who isn't essentially dragged kicking and screaming across the finish line of this of the parents is Poitier's mom, B. Richards, is phenomenal. And she's the one who kind of essentially pushes him over the finish line. 
uh, uh, calling him a limp dick or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. She was like, she was like, oh, so you just don't want to fuck your wife anymore. So you just don't want anybody to be having sex, specifically black and white people together. He's like, oh, oh, I didn't say all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it's that that idea that I don't. I, I have like four thoughts going on at once. So let me, mm-hmm. let me parse those real quick. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's being quote unquote, the bigger person. I think he's just hit the epiphany kind of a little bit early. And again, we're in 1967. He, he needs to be the one to say all this so that white people see this coming from Spencer Tracy, yeah, an Academy sure. award winning actor that they have loved for decades. Like that's, that's the important connotation here. But also like we get the one scene where it's Poitier and his dad together. And he's, he's holding a lot of resentment for being a black man in America, like a lot of it and deservedly. So, so when he's been mistreated by white people his entire life and suddenly he's like, now by marriage, I'm going to be related to a white person. I'm not necessarily okay with this. These people have oppressed me and kept me down. Right. Uh, uh, Poitier says, Poitier is 39 in this movie, says, you're you're 30 years older than me. He's 69. That means he was born in the 1890s. Right. Yeah. Like, this man saw news reports of the Tulsa massacre in his lifetime. Yeah. In a time that he was conscious and able to see that kind of like genocidal mani- main like bullshit happening in his own country. Yeah. Mm. And you know, I'm just bringing up Tulsa cause it's the thing I'm, I can readily think of. Right. Because it wasn't the only black town that was burned to the ground or put under a goddamn lake. Look up videos on that shit because that's, distressing so yeah black towns they disappear a lot in his lifetime yeah so are those kind of terrorists the kind of people that you want to be associated with Mm -hmm. not really so honestly i think he's a little too logical (laughs) fair enough if not logical at least he's hot he's most likely has enough ptsd from being black in america during the one of the worst periods to be black in America, because let's not forget what happened in the 1910s. Birth of a nation. Yeah. Gives rise to the KKK again. Yeah. Woodrow Wilson has that shit screened at the white house. and says it's one of the best films ever made. I, I yeah. don't blame them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. That makes All sense. Right. All right. Well, gents, uh, any additional notes on this film? Um, holy fuck. Catherine Hepburn. Jesus Christ, me, Catherine Hepburn. Had me in tears so often. Just knowing how sick Spencer Tracy was in this, him giving that speech where he's like, yo, I love my wife just as much today as I did when we first met. Uh-huh. And I still have that passion growing in me. And she's just on camera behind him like tears streaming down her face 
Right. And you know that shit is just because, like, I'm losing my actual husband who is saying these beautiful things right in front of me. Right. Yeah. Done. I was fucking done. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Starting to feel it. <laughs> You're just talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I, my eyes are full of tears again. Like, um, oh, man, that just kills me. <sighs> I, I just love everybody has such good chemistry in this movie. The acting's phenomenal. And the writing is great. The dialogue's so good, and um, yeah, a lot of clever. I, I, I love the Monsignor's dialogue too. He, he's well, so he's my favorite little, character. So many little jabs he can throw in there, and against yeah. uh, Spencer Tracy's character, it's just good, good stuff. Good stuff. He made me want some ice cream. You got any left? I saw you scraping at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul, let's talk some uh, archives. Let's talk some archives. The National Film Registry, 1967, is... Guess who's coming to dinner in? And what year did it get in? If you think it got it. Uh, yes. I feel like it's got to be. Yeah. I'm going to go 1990. I was going to say 97 for its 30th anniversary. Zach, you got the closest it is in. But you were off by 20 years. Holy crap. Wow. This didn't go until 2017. Jesus Christ. I wonder yeah. why. That That is shocking to me, honestly. <laughs> All the white people in Congress, I guess. Yeah. That makes me sad. Especially when earlier films to go in. Bonnie and Clyde goes in 92. Uh... Dr. Doolittle. No, yeah. David Holzman's diary goes in in 1991. Who the fuck is that? Don't know. Uh, Electronic Labyrinth, THX 11384EB, the short film, goes in in 2010. This goes in seven years before Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Wow. Uh, Graduate goes in in 96. Uh, our Best Picture winner in the Heat of the Night goes in in 2022. I guess we enjoyed watching um Sidney Poitier slap a white man and not kiss a white man. Fair enough. Yeah. So those are those are some of the highlights and some of the films that got in before this. Nice. All right. Well let's get into our worsty judgments. And Zach. Hello. Does this movie deserve best original screenplay? The only other one I've seen in the category is in, uh, is Bonnie and Clyde. And um, I have small uh, issues with the feel of that film, but I think the screenplay is very good. So I like that a lot. But I'm going to have to say yes. I, I feel like this should have won. Um, it was important for the time. It's well written. And uh, I like it. All right. I am in agreement with you. I don't think I saw any of the other films, but you know what? I don't care. I love this movie. I think the script is perfect. Generally not a huge fan of an ending monologue, but I felt like this was one of the best ones. So, uh, yeah. Paul. Yes. Does this movie deserve best original screenplay? Oh, I guess I'm on the same page as Zach here. I've only seen Bonnie and Clyde. Holy shit. That screenplay is really good. I'm going to go. Sure. I, I think this is well-written. I think it's a a much easier watch than you think it would be. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm good with it. I really like Bonnie and Clyde, though. So if that would have won, I'd, I'd also be saying yes. So fair enough. All right. Well, Zach, is this the worst best original screenplay? No, I um, I think at maybe other points in my life, I may have given this five stars, but there are a couple flaws that make me go four and a half. But I'm going to be generous and put it at the top of my four and a half. Put it uh, number six. Nice. Number six. Um, I am again in agreement. This is not the worst. Uh, this is my number four. Oh. Speeding out the great McGinty. Yeah. Yeah. I ball. fucking love this movie and I will watch it many more times in my life. So. Nice. Yeah. Paul, is this the worst? Uh, no, this is not the worst. I went four on this one, though. Four stars? Yeah. Okay. I like, I love this film. I like it a lot. And yeah. it, again, it's a real easy watch. Um, I don't know. It, it's more of the real life stuff that hits me than anything happening in the film. And I, I really, really wish that Hodier was just some guy. Yeah. Fair enough. Like, like I, I really didn't need him to be like the deputy director of the world health organization, wherever the fuck he was like that shit right. was nonsense, <laughs> but it also is the only way I guess they feel like they could explain why a black man was in Hawaii. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> well, <that> was... <laughs> I was going to say, uh, my great grandmother once met another exceptional black man in Hawaii. <laughs> she, she was on vacation and she ran into Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So. <laughs> oh, he is exceptional. Yeah. Not not only is he an amazing basketball player, but that man can fly a plane too. <laughs> yes. Yes. And also do the civil rights. Mm. Um, I have this down at my number 16. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree this is important. I agree it's a good stepping stone, but for me it's it's that. It's a stepping stone. It the the quote that I come back to often in my life is slave movies aren't made for black people. This movie is not a movie made for black people. It's a movie made for white people to preach at them and placate the ones that want to pat themselves on the back. And for me that that loses a little luster on it. I get you. Well, but fair enough. But this is a good movie. It is well written. It is well made. Kramer is directing the fuck out of this film for, for a film that's just about a bunch of people in one house talking a lot. That camera is constantly going, and I love mm. that. Yeah. Um, but overall, I uh, I think it's I think it's a good step forward. I get you. Yeah. I I think um, you know Stanley Kramer. I again he's. A white man making message films largely for white people, you know, for white people. That they're they're all for white yeah. people to, yeah, you know, it's just, just to tell them to stop being assholes. And um, it's a shame that some of the content of the films that he's made are stuck in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Defiant ones. I'm a big fan of Judgment at Nuremberg. Yeah, Hair at the Wind's a good film. Uh, he directed. One of my top five favorite comedies of all time. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Mm. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. He's 
a white man preaching at other white people. Indeed. But unfortunately, as as we know, the white people who are going to listen to this aren't always the ones that need to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, guy. Well, that's where we're going to call it here tonight. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on the Twitter, Twitch, TikToks, and the letterbox at Alterna underscore Occam. I watched some movies. Yay. I watched two movies. Um, Watched Indiana Jones. It's a good movie. It was Indiana Jones. It's exactly what Indiana Jones should have fucking been. It was Indiana Jones. Don't know why people hate that movie. I don't fucking get it. So many of these, like, remakes and reboots and requels and whatever the fuck else you want to call them feel so cynical i thought this was i thought mangled was having a good time do you know what it was fun movie yeah it wasn't a remake it wasn't a reboot it wasn't any of that it was literally a sequel it was exactly indiana jones it was better than crystal skull and i liked crystal skull so i mean i i don't get what people are pissed off about i really honestly don't fuck them fuck them right up the ass (laughs) yeah it it doesn't make sense to me. I I honestly don't get it. Yeah. I also I will, watched. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm one of those people who's I'm jaded by my own believing the original trilogy is perfect, and I just don't feel like I ever needed more. Like I, I still never saw Crystal Skull, and I haven't seen this one. Like I'm afraid, but because of my own trappings, I put on myself. Sure. And I'm going to end up being disappointed because I've done that to I, myself. I prefer that opinion. Yeah. I honestly literally do that. You're like, I understand that I'm not going to enjoy these as much as the films that I enjoyed that I, that I discovered as kids, because they're going to be different movies that aren't the things that I discovered as a kid. And it's honestly a conversation I was having about a mutual of mine and Manny's and David's and Joe's that doesn't like the star Wars sequels. And, and essentially his argument is, it's not like he's not going to say this out loud, but his argument is it's not the first three movies. So I don't like them. To be fair, it's the like, force awakens really is just in star Wars, but that's star Wars. Star Wars yeah. is a cyclical. Story. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, no, gonna no, 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 we're not going to do I'm that. Not we're not going to do it right now <laughs> because I'm already mad enough about it. Yeah. Um, I also watched no hard feelings. Um, it was a movie. Movie. It was a movie. That's really all I could say about that movie. There were some cute parts to it. There was one part that I had heard that was going to be, and I went, "That's the thing that happened." (laughs) The naked body slamming. Yeah, she just suplexed. Like the the suplex was fucking awesome. I will say that (laughs) she suplexes a human being, and it's wild. (laughs) But other than that, man, it it was a movie. So yeah. Also watched a really. I got a I got a thing about cult docu series, like documentary series about cults. Okay, and I watched one on HBO called uh, Oh God, uh, Love Is One or something like that. Okay, it it it, it, it showed a dead body a lot. Mm. That creeped me out, but it's still really good. Check that out. Okay, so yeah, that's what I watched. Now I got like fifty fucking movies to watch over today <laughs> to next week. And Zach, where can we find you? Find me on Critiker, Zachmaster, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, TikTok, House Havoc, and Letterboxd by searching my name. I finally got to see Barbie, thanks to Mr. Workman, and I loved it. I'm still kind of processing my complete feelings on it. Um, Saw yourself a little too much of that movie, didn't you? Uh, you know, I did a couple times. 
And, uh, <laughs> but I think that's the whole point. If you, so many people, men calling it anti-man, I think they missed the whole point. Of just Ken's missed whole the fucking point. point. <laughs> missed Ken's whole arc. But, well, you know, the whole point that men, men need to exist in a, a place of happiness by themselves that doesn't, <laughs> that maybe doesn't need to include women. If if that was your takeaway from the movie, then you do not realize that the movie was specifically talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I think this movie's a bit of a... yes, that is great. And like I said, a song's been stuck in my head and beautiful, <laughs> good film. Yeah. Uh, and then I got to watch uh, Mutant Mayhem, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. I really like that a lot. Very good. Thanks. I'm so excited for the series. Ooh. They're making a series off of it. Nice. That's what I got to watch this week. And mm. Mr. Workman. Uh, you can follow me at Father of the Fear on Instagram, which I, I made a post on this week. I was very happy with that. Ooh. And uh, on Letterboxd, where I keep running tally of all the films that I watch. I watched a lot. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run them down real quick. How about I do the worst to best that I that I yeah do. I do enjoy uh, that. I like that worst or least favorite I shouldn't say worst because that's subjective. My least favorite that I watched this week was unfortunately the Marvels. I didn't want it. To be, I really didn't want it to be. And watching the film, I'm like, wow, there is a movie in here. There's a good movie in here. They just. They hacked it all to pieces. It it's an obvious hack job. It was one of those things. Was like, oh no, our longer movies aren't getting the reception we want. Hack this down as far as we can to fit it into under two hours. And it's the one film where I'm like, shit, this is the one that I wanted to be two hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's I, it's not a good movie. I want to watch it, and I wanted it to be good, if for no other reason for all the jackasses that basically said like. Captain Marvel was bad and there's stupid fucking reasons for that. Yeah. And you know, and I hated that Captain Marvel became like this fucking proxy culture war. Yeah. Because that movie just was okay as well. And it's like, Oh great. Now I don't like this movie and assholes are being shitty about it. So now I'm caught in between those two things. I'm not happy. Yeah. And and this, yeah, exactly, exactly this one's like a bunch of sexist douchebags don't like this movie for whatever reason they don't like it. They didn't like it before they saw it. Yeah, I wanted to like this because I think Amon Villani is one of the best things in the MCU right now. The Captain, the the Miss Marvel TV show was phenomenal. This did not live up to that. Yeah, even though I think all three women are on top of their game. And Amon Bellani steals the whole movie. Her, her, and the and the Khan family. Ooh, excuse me. Her and the Khan family. The best part of the entire movie. This whole movie should have just been a Miss Marvel movie. Uh, after that, Eileen. Eileen was not good. <laughs> I don't like trash trashing two stories about women. But this is another film that felt like there were scenes just wholesale missing from it and you think character studio oh. issues that are messing these movies up 
No, and I don't. And this is neon, so you wouldn't think the studio would be too involved at mm. such a low cost. I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I didn't enjoy watching this movie. Looking at Anne Hathaway was nice. I like looking at her, but other than that, the movie's just okay. At 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 its best, it's okay. Um. I'm trying to remember how I ranked these, but uh, watch the n- new Netflix film "Leave the World Behind." I enjoyed that. A lot of great performances in it. It builds tension really well. It has a really interesting ending. There's a character who's obsessed with the TV show Friends. It has everything you want in the movie. Uh, uh, watch the movie Theater Camp, which you know I talked about a little bit in the very very long cold open. A lot of fun. Had a lot of fun watching that. Uh, all, all the people I grew up with and doing theater and all the people that I met in the Quad Cities doing theater, they're all in this movie. Wow. Uh, okay. We got a couple more here. We got, uh, tonight I just watched Merry Little Batman, which was a joy, just a joy to watch. It was a good little, little Christmas tale starring a uh, made-for-children version of Damian Wayne, because the actual story of Damian Wayne, not for children. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I like that film a lot. Um, I gave it five stars, and I think I mean that. It's a Batman movie. It's definitely the best Batman movie I've seen in the last few years. That features Batman, the Penguin, and the Riddler. Nice. I just like those three characters. I can't think of them. they were all three, and it was worse than this one. Tom White is shaking his fist. Indeed, he is. Um, and he's definitely going to shake his fist. Talk about the boy and the heron, Miyazaki's latest. <laughs> you look that, beat. Ah, the more I think of that movie, the sadder I get. Like, but also like, it's got a hopeful ending. Um, I'm not going to give away what that is, but it it's so fucking good. Hmm. Miyazaki wrote and directed this one. It mostly mostly an original story from him it's it's a lot there's a lot going on and like sitting and dissecting and thinking about this listening to other takes on it it's it's very sad it's it's a very sad movie but it's very beautiful and like this and godzilla minus one i saw them both in the same week oh godzilla minus one we we never came to the conclusion of what that means (sighs) It takes place before the first Godzilla movie. It is oh. minus one. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Also, if you have Apple TV and you're not watching Monarch, Monarch rules. I'll try to get it once it's done, guys. <laughs> um, Godzilla folder? Um, yeah, Miyazaki. Master. It, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even know what else to say. Like, go fucking see it. It is the best movie. Oh, we, we saw the Japanese dub, but in the uh, the American dub, Robert Pattinson plays the heron who is like hmm. a guy disguised as a heron. So it's definitely the best movie I've seen in the last couple of years. Robert Pattinson dresses up as a flying character. <laughs> nice. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep going at it. I can't. Uh, and then I found out today that I could rank uh, the history of the Minnesota Vikings. To play <laughs> fucking uh, secret base documentary on YouTube. If uh, you want to spend like eight hours of your life watching a really long, 
stats-driven documentary about the history of the Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> go to the Secret Base YouTube. You will not be sad. These guys also did uh, the history of the Atlanta Falcons, the history of the Seattle Mariners, which oh, was that... fucking phenomenal. Yeah, I, I remember you sent me that a while back. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> It's it's nice because it's sectioned off so well that you mm-hmm. you can watch one episode at a time, and every time they drop one of these, and they just did a really good one about Kobe and Shaq's relationship on the Lakers, mm-hmm. and how weird and fraught it was for two guys who won three fucking championships together. Right, and it was called How to Make a Basket. It's pure excellence. Like these seeker base doesn't miss whenever they like do their deep dives into things. Mm. I. I highly recommend if you're not subscribed to the secret base YouTube channel, getting on it and watching any time that they release long episodic sports documentaries, because even if you don't care about the things, they do such a good job of telling the stories of them that you get invested in them. Nice. And by the end of them, you're like, am I a Minnesota Vikings fan now? (laughs) It's, it's great. It's wonderful. That's not my number one. I just found out that I could rank it. I, I didn't put it in my list of the year, but <laughs> someone I follow on on uh, Letterboxd ranked it. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Sweet. Uh, all right. So with that, we'd like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Loving Up Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. Facebook at the Oscarcy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. Almighty algorithm. Yes, come on. Come on over. Give us five stars and do a little dance like that delivery boy when he when he showed up with the steaks for dinner. Because Oh, yeah. They, they, were, they were jamming. Yeah, they were going at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, for Jonathan and Zach and Damian Wayne, the merry little Batman, for Luke Wilson for being my Batman, I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>